Welcome, everyone, again to another edition of the Surma Pod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. I am the founder and CEO, Rich Lenkov. Uh, we're very pleased to have uh, Rick Haber here today talking about the Sage Steel Law. So before we get to Rick, uh, just remind you of a couple of things. We do these podcasts every two weeks. We've got a pretty good bank so far of... Uh, Great topics involving the Will Smith slap. We've discussed the Johnny Depp trial. We've discussed uh, um, liability for uh, live events, for unruly fans. We've got a pretty good library. We will continue to uh, put these topics together based on what uh, our audience hears, or our audience would like us to cover. Um, and we try to cover topics that are breaking, that are right from the news. So. Along those lines, again, I want to introduce Richard Haber. Uh, Rick is the, is it fair to say, the founding member, Rick, of Haber, McKenna, and Dinsmore? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, you practice employment law. Uh, specifically, you handle claims for unemployment benefits, wrongful termination, discrimination, unpaid wages in Connecticut. Uh, Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So we're talking today about the uh, recent lawsuit involving Sage Steele. Uh, Sage Steele is a very prominent ESPN personality, host SportsCenter, among uh, other productions for the network. Um, she sued ESPN and its parent company, Disney, alleging that her right to free speech was violated, number one, and number two, that she was retaliated um, against for comments she made on a podcast last year. The podcast was... Uh, um, a player near and dear to our hearts as Bears fans, Jay Cutler, former Bears quarterback, um, not the favorite among some Bears fans, by the way. She called Disney's vaccine mandate sick and scary. And those are her exact words. She also uh, talked about her own racial identity. Uh, she said she was biracial and she talked about former President Barack Obama identifying as black. And uh, further, Rick, she said, I think it's fascinating considering his black dad was nowhere to be found, but his white mom and grandma raised him. She said, but hey, you do you, I'm going to do me. Uh, she says in her lawsuit that she was um, stripped of her assignments in response to this podcast uh, discussion and that ESPN did not protect her from harassment from colleagues who criticized her on social media. Um, that's the basis of our lawsuit. So let's talk first, because this is rather unique. These kind of lawsuits are not that unique, but the fact that she filed this in Connecticut, where ESPN is, of course, based in Bristol, uh, brings to mind a fairly unique piece of um, legislation that deals with this issue. Tell us more about that in Connecticut, Rick. Sure. So in Connecticut, we have a statute. It's codified at Section 31-51Q, uh, I'm looking at it now on my screen. It looks like it goes back to 1983. It's entitled Liability of Employer for Discipline or Discharge of Employee on Account of Employee's Exercise of Certain Constitutional Rights. That's the short title of it. Essentially, it is the application of the protections of the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and the parallel 
Connecticut state constitution to private employers. Uh, for the lawyers watching, we all know that constitutional provisions only limit government conduct. But by this statute, the state of Connecticut cut and pasted those protections and said employers must also um, uh, obey them. They're, the employees of private employers have these rights as well, and in fact, can sue under this statute when they're either disciplined or discharged. So that's interesting. So that's a little different than you know other states, right? Um, I'm, I'm actually uh, not aware of another state that has a law like this. I mean, I I can't tell you that I've canvassed all 50, but in my 30 years, I haven't come across another state that has a, a law like this. Right. So talk to us a little bit about why you think Connecticut treats uh, this area differently than, than other states. Oh, I, I don't really have an opinion on that. Uh, I, I, I became a lawyer uh, nine years after that this was passed. Um, I'm sorry, I just don't have a, an understanding of the history of it. Right. So if she, Rick, was a, um, an employee working for a private employer, she wouldn't be able to claim some of the allegations that she raises in her complaint. So in, in, in most states, uh, without a state without this law, right. someone trying to claim that they were fired in violation of the First Amendment simply wouldn't be able to do it. The First right. Amendment, as we all know, says Congress shall pass no law. And it's been extended to not only Congress, but state and local governments. So if you are an employee of a state or local government or the federal government, you enjoy First Amendment protections. But private employers generally can disregard it, but not in Connecticut. So the fact that ESPN is based in Bristol, Connecticut, um, gave gave her the, the right to invoke this statute. I don't know where she was when the podcast occurred. Uh, but her employment, I, 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 my understanding is that her employment, she's employed by a Connecticut-based employer, ESPN. Right. Now, what's interesting, Rick, is um, for her to prove, for Sage Steele to prove that her uh, speech is protected under the statute, she has to prove to the trier of fact that her comments about the vaccine mandate were a matter of general public interest and simply not complaints about her own situation. Do you think that's, uh, you know, how, how hard do you think that'll be to prove? Right. You're right about that. So so protected speech under the First Amendment, and certainly the jurisprudence here in Connecticut on this is that it must be speech on matters of public concern, speech on matters of public concern, not just any speech, and certainly not speech just related to her. So when someone gets a negative annual performance evaluation and complains about it and is fired for complaining, that is not what this law is all about. Um, the, the allegations about ESPN's vaccine policy, she'll have to successfully argue that that gives that, that, that is a speech on matters of public concern. It seems easy to say that vaccine safety, right? So she she delayed. I watched the podcast and she had a Band-Aid on her arm and Jay asked her about it. And it was a day or two before the deadline that ESPN had set forth for people to get vaccinated or be fired. And she referred to that policy as sick and um, I can't remember the other word, but she criticized it. So 
Yes, she argues that speech about vaccine safety is a speech on matters of public concern. I agree. I don't necessarily agree that the remark about being biracial or how President Obama filled out his census is speech on matters of public concern. And I don't necessarily agree that her remarks about how female reporters should or should not dress, although controversial, certainly to some people, not to me, but to some people, that's not speech on matters of public concern, in my opinion. But but vaccine safety, I believe, is. Um, and so I, be, I believe she'll clear that hurdle. She must also prove that her speech, um, and I'll, I'll read from the statute, it says, provided such activity does not substantially or materially interfere with the employee's bona fide job performance or the working relationship between the employee and the employer, right? So um, anyway, let me stop there and I'll let you, I'll let you drive. Yeah, it's all, no, it's all great points. I mean, you know, we, we know that in addition to the obstacles she might face, although you feel like she could overcome them with proving liability, the other element, of course, to any lawsuit is damages, right? And it's interesting because she's not alleging that she was, I mean, she says she was suspended, I guess. ESPN is denying that she was suspended. Um, she still works there, right? Typically in these cases, uh, one of the ways to prove damages is to show that you were fired or that you were disciplined or that you lost some wages as a result. It's hard for her to show to prove that because she still works there. She's, of course, saying that there's this other, um, you know, there's gossip about her and that she was sidelined or taking a break or whatever euphemism is being used. But, you know, I think that'll be an uphill battle for her in proving, proving damages. Well, so the statute plainly says discipline or discharge. So the fact that she was not discharged doesn't doesn't uh, mean the case should be dismissed. She claims that she was suspended, I believe, for 10 days. I don't think ESPN contests that. I think it's clear that she was taken off the air for 10 days. I think they agree. So that's a suspension. I think it's hard to argue that a 10-day suspension isn't discipline. So I think she'll meet that level. What you know, your 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 point is well taken, however. That what will be the damages that flowed from that, whether or not how other people viewed her remarks are connected to the suspension or not, I don't know. Um, but I do believe she'll meet kind of the threshold elements of showing that she was disciplined on account of her speech. I also don't think that her speech uh, interfered with her performance or working relationship. It was not in the workplace. It was on her own time on a podcast. She wasn't speaking on ESPN's broadcast. It was outside the workplace. I don't see how, I don't see how it, I, I, I don't see how it could be concluded that, that this opinion of hers um, interfered with her job performance or her working relationship with her employer. I mean, if, the, if it were so easy to conclude that, then n nobody's kind of controversial speech would ever be actionable. Rick, you represent clients against a lot of high-profile defendants. Um, ESPN is, you know, among the most famous brands on the planet. Obviously, they're very protective uh, of keeping that brand and also very aggressive in uh, defending lawsuits. 
In fact, they've come out against this one and said that it, it is meritless. Um, how do you predict this will play out? You know, it's impossible exactly to predict how these cases go, but given your familiarity with these kind of cases, what do you think happens? Do you think this uh, gets before a, a jury or do you think ESPN resolves it prior to that point? Well, uh, in fact, uh, prior to this podcast, I went to the docket and I looked at the filings that ESPN has made. Um, and by the way, it's not just ESPN, it's Disney. So right. Disney is claiming that they the point, right? Even more, even more, a bigger brand. That, that A bigger brand. Disney is claiming that they shouldn't be in this case, that they never employed her. And they filed motions to dismiss saying there's no jurisdiction over them in this case. And that's not really a very you know, interesting topic. That's a kind of procedural jurisdictional topic. But they've also filed a very aggressive and interesting, um, in, in my opinion, losing motion to dismiss under Connecticut's SLAP statute. Lots of states have SLAP statutes, which are typically uh, written and and enacted to protect um, big rich, to prevent big rich employers from slapping back when someone speaks out, you know, under the First Amendment. And um, uh, and so and so the statute says uh, that anyone who files a complaint that that sues someone else for their protected speech, for their First Amendment speech, um, that that lawsuit should be dismissed. So ESPN in their filing is claiming that their suspension of Ms. Steele is speech. That's that's the twist right there. Uh, um, I, I know this law firm. Uh, I've sued ESPN. I, I've dealt with these people. Um, I don't think that's a winning argument. I, I mean, she's suing them for being suspended. And they're arguing back that their conduct in suspending her for her protected speech is itself protected speech under the slap statute, and that therefore she's slapping them. Uh, anybody's interested can read Attorney Bertrand's filing. Um, I think it's creative and, as you said, very aggressive. That's Rick Haber. Rick, we like to uh, finish every podcast by getting to know our uh, guests a little bit in the world of sports and entertainment. Uh, tell us what your favorite, uh, who, who's your team that you follow that you uh, you live and die with throughout your uh, throughout your life? I, I assume it's a team out east, not a lot of professional sports in Connecticut, but maybe I'm wrong. So, be, uh, so I live in central Connecticut, and so we are a very strange group here in central Connecticut because we're between New York and Boston. Right. So I am a Celtics, Red Sox, New York Giants fan. Wow. My father is a Celtics, Yankees, New York Giants fan. So, you you, you know, we're in the I-91 corridor and we get a lot of crossover. I'm looking forward to the Giants uh, season coming up. And uh, that's my that's my team. The common element there is the Celtics. I'm a Celtics fan too. I grew up in uh, in Montreal, so all of our local channels came from the Boston feed. So I'm a diehard Celtics fan, but I have to say that I hate every other Boston team with a passion. So we'll commiserate over the Celtics uh, sometime. That's Rick Haber. Law firm is Haber McKenna. The website is HaberLawFirm.com. Rick, thank you so much for joining us on the Surma Pod, and please come back in the future. 
Thank you for having me.